I want to encourage you that the Word of God is living and active, and He is faithful. If Jesus didn't quit at the triumphal entry, then He will not quit today. If thousands of people cheering in ignorance did not put Him off, then my personal incompetence isn't going to either. Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. Today we're going to hear from returning guest Lugie Regeer. Lugie is an alumni and former staff member of His Hill, and he's going to share from John 11 as well as Luke 19, paying attention to the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem. You know, the crowds were excited, and they should have been, but as Lugie will point out, they weren't excited about the right thing. They had their own expectation of what Messiah would accomplish and demanded that Jesus fulfill this desire. By the end of the week, those who had cheered for him would change their cry from, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, to crucify him, crucify him. Now, how often do we do the same in our hearts with Jesus when things don't work out the way we want or even expect? In doing so, like those who welcomed him into the city that day, we miss out on what Jesus is accomplishing right now in our lives. What a comfort it is to know that my mistakes and misunderstandings don't deter God's faithfulness, that despite my failure, his victory in Christ is still sure. Jesus tells us in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 that, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? The Lord's desire is not to fulfill my will or to do things the way I believe they should be done, because that would not be His faithfulness. He created us in such a way that His image be seen, and only there in His image Will I find fulfillment? Will I find rest? Will I find His faithfulness? And so we see that God's faithfulness in displaying His image is what Christ accomplishes in His earthly ministry, culminating with the triumphal entry as He enters into Jerusalem as the King and demonstrates on the cross God's power as He says, It is finished. And as he shows in his resurrection, God's victory over sin. In this episode, Lugi will concentrate on the faithfulness of God in Christ shown in the triumphal entry. So without any further delay, let's join Lugi from John chapter 11. Well, good morning, good evening, and good night, wherever you are, in whatever time zone, in whatever part of the world, in whatever future after this recording. Uh, I want to thank you for tuning in to the His Hill podcast and uh, just very grateful for this opportunity to share some of the things that the Lord's revealed to me uh, just during some Bible studies and some preparation for for other teaching elsewhere. So today, this is going to be a brief excerpt from Jesus's life in the week leading up to his crucifixion, looking specifically at the triumphal entry into Jerusalem because it's an event that was supposed to be the culmination of actual centuries of waiting and anticipating. But as we'll see from Jesus's response, instead, it was a dud. 
there was a celebration, but the participants were celebrating something other than what Jesus was doing. For those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Lugie Regeer, originally from Canada via Germany, now a American and Texan. I was here um, as a student at His Hill for a number of years, uh, more years ago than I want to think about, and then was also on staff. And uh, so this is a real privilege to be able to cover this section of scripture because um, when I was a teacher, I actually had the privilege of teaching through the Passion Week um, in its entirety. And uh, so this is a a small uh, section that has a lot of just um, fond memories for me, frankly, of, uh, of something that I used to be able to, to do regularly, more regularly at least. And, um, yeah, uh, I'm very, very, uh, excited to go through this. And I, I hope that as y'all, uh, listen and as the Holy Spirit speaks that y'all will be blessed. So I'm going to start, I'm going to go, um, primarily from John chapter 11, and then I'm going to do some reading also from, um, from Luke chapter 19. This is John 11. Verses 55 through 57. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. These are the last few days prior to Jesus's death and resurrection is the, is the setting here. This is, as I said, it's the Passion Week. This is the, the week leading up. What has happened previously is that Jesus was teaching and performing miracles. Those miracles attested to many things, his authority over nature, over demons, sickness, disease, death, sin, his authority over man, over tradition, the Sabbath. And ultimately, the miracles were a way of God saying, I understand that those who hear will find it difficult to believe what my son is saying. It will be easy to doubt and to call Jesus a liar or a lunatic. But when the miracles occur, they will show my divine support and affirmation of his message. So the miracles were a way of resetting expectations of Jesus' audience. This man is going to make many statements like, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. That's pretty wild if it is not hypothetical. If he is making a literal statement, this is something that we often don't think about what it would sound like if it wasn't something that we read in Scripture. If you're pumping gas and the guy from the next pump over told you those things, your expectations would be something like, I hope the men in the white coats with a straitjacket aren't too far behind you, pal. But if that same man followed up his words by tearing a sandwich in half before your eyes and then handing you two complete sandwiches, you would reconsider, hopefully, what it was that was being said. This was the, the function. It was something that was genuinely miraculous so that the message which might be difficult would stand in contrast to the clear activity of God. Well, the people are listening, and the news was spreading, particularly after Lazarus died, and then Jesus said, stop that, and Lazarus stopped being dead. This is from John 11, 
verses 45 through 54. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and to make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved around publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert in a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. So Israel at this time is occupied by Rome. The Roman Empire normally did not permit its conquered territories the freedom to worship how its inhabitants pleased. But because of repeated revolts from the Jews, they made an exception with Israel. And it was really just this way of saying, okay, we need to be able to control and to have some kind of semblance of peace in this area. So Israel was permitted to have its own internal Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin, which was mentioned just a moment ago. But the nation didn't have sovereignty over itself. The Sanhedrin was populated by two people groups who were at odds with one another, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. If this gets too boring, it will be hopefully become more interesting in a moment. But the significance in the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees was this. The Sadducees were fine with Rome's occupation, and the Pharisees were against it. The Pharisees, by contrast, they were patriotic for Israel becoming its own sovereign nation again. But here they are, together united against Jesus, because the Sadducees feared that all this would lead to another revolt that Rome would deal with in the way that they often did, by coming in and defining at length to Israel how the chain of command worked. Namely, it was the chain that Rome beat you with until you recognized that Rome was in command. The Sadducees didn't want anything that could risk Roman legions being deployed, and they reasoned that if Israel accepted Jesus as Messiah and he instituted a kingdom, Rome would move in and destroy that rival kingdom. On the other side, you might think that the Pharisees would welcome an opportunity to fight Rome, but they didn't want to support anything that might end with them having to salute Jesus as the prophesied Messiah. So these combined conflicts are what's going on here. All this is in the backdrop of Jesus' arrival in Bethany, and it's why in John eleven fifty six 56, the people are saying things like, what do you think? Is he coming to the feast at all? Which otherwise is a very unusual statement because Passover was the celebration of the year. It was the, the high point. It was the, also the remembrance of God bringing the Israelite nation out of slavery in Egypt. I'm going to read here from John chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. 
So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. I've always enjoyed how John records this section because it's otherwise such an odd sentence to say, he arrived there where so-and-so who used to be dead lived. But in any case, continuing on at verse 9, the large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches and palm trees and went out to meet him. So with everything happening here, there is an amazing myopia. There is an amazing closing off of of thinking and of understanding and listening. Lazarus died and was buried. In John 11, when Jesus tells the people to roll the stone away, Lazarus' sister says, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. To quote the Princess Bride, there is a difference between mostly dead and all dead. And in the case of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, well, Lazarus didn't make it into that second group. After four days in the tomb, Jesus displays what it means to be the word of God. He calls to a corpse, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walks out of the grave. At a word from the word, creation obeys its designer and creator. Contrast that to the chief priests. When they hear this, they don't receive it. They don't change their plans to arrest Jesus. Instead, they expand their plans to include having Lazarus killed because they fear mankind more than they fear God. They expect to lose status. They expect Rome to retaliate. And consequently, they miss the party while God is in town. And it escalates further as Jesus continues to display what John the Baptist proclaimed, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so here we get to the triumphal entry itself from Luke 19, this is verses 29 through 36. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, the people were spreading their cloaks on the road. So, about this colt that nobody has ever ridden. This is one that that really spoke to me. And the reason is because we don't have donkeys or, or horses. We have a dairy cow. Her name's Molly. And in late January, she gave birth to a little fluffy brown calf whom we named Makushla. That's an unusual name. We got it from a cow in a 1940s Christmas movie. But the point is, Makushla is new. 
she's new to her mom and she's new to us. And her father is an Angus bull, which means that despite being only two and a half months old now and about three feet high at the shoulder, she is built like a linebacker. When we first started to halter train her so that we could put a lead rope on her and be able to lead her around, it was like being in a Three Stooges episode trying to catch her and get this halter over her head and onto into place. It's gotten better now, but it's only because we have worked with her twice a day, every day for two months. And she still will at times try to take my wife water skiing on land by just how much she can pull. This cow has this low center of gravity that is just unbelievable. So Jesus sends these disciples to specifically get an animal that has not been ridden. He, he says as much in his instructions. And then they bring him in obedience. They get exactly the animal that has been specified. And they bring it to Jesus, which should fight and buck him off, but it doesn't. And I want to kind of highlight this. Why? Why doesn't it? Because, again, at a word from the word of God, creation obeys its designer and creator. And this is something that otherwise I feel like the, other, the previous times when I've read this, I've missed the significance that this is an event that is unusual for most of humanity. But here we have this display of, of who he is. Continuing on in verse 37. When he came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Here the crowd gets it right because they remember Zechariah 9. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. When they refer to Jesus with, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they are spot on. But the shouting and the celebrating is nightmare fuel for the Pharisees. We have to remember the timing of this is during Passover, Jesus isn't visiting a half-deserted grocery store on a Tuesday morning in the off-season. There are millions of people in Jerusalem at this time. There are tents and temporary structures. This is Passover. This is what the biggest worldwide concerts and conventions dream to become. This is the state of this city as he is riding in. And the people following him are not saying, hooray, but they are saying, hosanna, which means save now. And they understand Jesus is presenting himself as the Messiah. And here we get to this confrontation. In verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So after all this buildup, it seems like the event was hardly worth it because before people were saying, will Jesus even come to Jerusalem? Will he dare? And then on the day, the people who oppose Jesus seem like they don't actually care that much. They say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus, tell these people the way that they are celebrating you is inappropriate. Jesus, they are saying you are king 
and Messiah, and you need to turn around and you need to tell them that's not true. Jesus' response is the opposite. He responds saying, this needs to occur. And then the Pharisees sulk? Do they leave? We only hear a little bit more in John. John chapter 12, verses 17 and 19. Now the crowd that was with him had continued to spread the word that he had called Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Isn't it odd that Jesus, when the Pharisees speak to him, he doesn't listen to reason? Well, Since it wasn't reason, it shouldn't be surprising that Jesus didn't follow their advice. They are not addressing him as king. They're addressing him as teacher or rabbi is what it would have been. They don't believe in the statement that Jesus is making, and they continue to work from all of the things that they have set up in their own expectations as important and as significant. So this is the part where I want to ask, is that how your prayer and your conversations with Jesus sound? Now see here, Jesus, this simply isn't cricket. There are certain rules and social etiquette that you must adhere to, Jesus. And therefore, because I know how things ought to be, Jesus, I'm here to instruct you. This is effectively what the Pharisees said to the one who was in the beginning, who was with God, and who was God. Hey, Jesus, I know that you invented thermodynamics, the cardiovascular system, cell division, um, water, light, um, space, distance. like That's cute and all, Jesus, but see here. Here's how it's going to be. There is a long section from the book of Job where God speaks to Job because of this kind of address. I'm going to read from Job chapter 38. And this is going to be a bit of a longer section. Then the Lord answered Job, out of the whirlwind, and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who set its measurements, since you know, or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who enclosed the sea with doors and then bursting forth it went from the womb? When I made a cloud its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling band, and I placed boundaries on it and set a bolt and doors, and I said, Thus far you shall come but no farther, and here your proud waves stop. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and they stand forth like a garment. For the wicked, their light is withheld, and the uplifted arm broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the way of the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place that you take it? to its territory, and that you may discern the path to its home. You know, 
for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of snow, or have you seen the storehouses of, of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of distress, for the day of war and battle? Where is the way that the light is divided, or the east wind scattered on the earth? Who has cleft the channel for the flood, or a way for the thunderbolt, to bring rain on the land without people, on a desert without a man in it, to satisfy the waste and the desolate land, and to make the seeds of grass to sprout? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb come the ice and the frost of heaven? Who has given it birth? Water becomes hard like stone and the surface of the deep is imprisoned. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? Can you lift your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water will cover you? Can you send forth lightning so that they may go and say to you, We are here. Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? Who can count the clouds by wisdom or tip the water jars of the heavens when the dust hardens into a mass and the clods stick together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? When they crouch in their dens and lie in wait in their lair? Who prepares for the raven its nourishment when its young cry to God and wander about without food? To understand that when we pray, we speak with our Creator. The Pharisees heard, but they ignored the message. The message that they were speaking to their Creator was clear. They ignored it because they didn't feel like it. The crowds heard and they followed but it was not to be a lasting pursuit because they were projecting onto Jesus what they thought they needed when Jesus didn't turn out to be the cosmic vending machine of, hey, fix my stuff, they left. And that rejection is what we hear in Jesus' response in these following verses here. Luke 19, verses 41 through 44. This is immediately after he's responded by saying, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children, within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. It's in the middle of this celebration. People are cheering for him, and Jesus weeps over them. As John anticipated, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Jesus wept over the city because the people received none of the blessings that he had come to provide for them. The day he entered Jerusalem was traditionally the day the lamb was selected to be slain and eaten for Passover. This time period before Passover, that's when those lambs were chosen. Christ then was presenting himself at the time when the Jews were selecting a Passover lamb for themselves. And this is the tragedy, that they should pass by the Lamb of God as they searched for their own Passover lamb. 
my point with all of this, I want to read from Hebrews chapter 3, our application for ourselves. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things, which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast to our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you have heard his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that their Be not in any one of you any evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become takers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. I want to encourage you that the Word of God is living and active, and He is faithful. If Jesus didn't quit at the triumphal entry, then he will not quit today. If thousands of people cheering in ignorance did not put him off, then my personal incompetence isn't going to either. I pray that y'all are encouraged. The truth of the love that we have received in Jesus is an astonishing one. And there are so many blessings in scripture to be found of his heart his faithfulness, his persistence, and his pursuit of us. You've been listening to the His Hill podcast featuring our host, Kelly Doherty, and former staff member and student, Lugie Regeer. Thanks so much for listening this week. Our annual ladies retreat featuring Bonnie Thomas and Sarah Snyder is set to kick off this Friday. Registration for this year's retreat was higher than it has ever been, and we are so blessed by the amount of women who are coming out to the hilltop this weekend. Please pray that this upcoming weekend would be a time of reflecting on God's design and absorbing His truth, and that all the ladies would leave here on Sunday knowing our God even better. Once again, you've been listening to the His Hill podcast featuring our host, Kelly Doherty and Lugie Regeer. Remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. I'm Lizzie, and we'll see you next week.